The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. As you probably know, we're working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul Petit preached and he, he covered this section in which the Apostle Paul wrote of his struggle for the believers in the church to take heart and to be knit together in love and to reach assurance in the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. His concern was that these believers might be duped by false and plausible arguments that lead not to fullness of joy in Christ, but away from him. And, and Paul Petit helpfully named some of such some of the plausible arguments of our day. And then I hope you get that pastor's email because he added two more plausible arguments in his in the pastor's letter this last week. Now today our text is chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 and that is a summary of the teaching in the whole letter. It's a summary of the whole of the whole letter. I mean that's to say that I mean I can put everything in all of Colossians into these two verses. The text is a, a spiritual antidote to the danger of the believers being led astray by, by these falsehoods and plausible arguments and vain philosophies into, into spiritual wastelands. So if I were to put verses 6 and 7 into my own words that we just read, I'd just move some of the pieces around a little bit, and here's how I would say it. i say that the Apostle Paul says this to the believers. Since you've received Christ Jesus the Lord... And have been firmly rooted in him and are now being built up in him and established in the gospel. As an apostle of Christ, I, Paul, command you to live step by step, walk in his grace and under his lordship, overflowing with thanksgiving all the way. That's what he's saying. So let me pray that the Lord would make it so. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant us grace as we look at this little text that is so pithy, so pregnant with meaning. Grant us grace as we look into this text, your word, to receive help and encouragement, the grace that we need this morning to gladly live our lives step by step, walking in faith in Christ Jesus and under his divine lordship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is also a pivot point in the letter. It's a pivot point. Up to this point, Paul has expressed praise to God for his glory, praise to God for his grace in the gospel of Christ, praise to God for his blessing the, the, the uh, Colossian believers, offering thanksgiving for them. Paul has prayed prayers for the, the Colossian believers. He's exalted Christ with this high, beautiful, glorious exaltation of Christ at the end of chapter 1. And he's even framed the labors of Epaphras, 
in evangelizing them and his apostolic ministry as the work of Christ, as their servants, their servants serving them. So up to this point in the letter, Paul has not told the believers anything to do. Nothing. They've just been receiving this fire hose of the, the glory of God in Christ and his grace to us in Christ and the labors of the servants of Christ. They're just, he's just been displaying, parading all this gospel coming their way. No commands at all. You could draw implications of how, what we ought to do, how we ought to live from that section. But, I mean, you probably know in Greek it's really clear what a command is. It's an imperative. It's really clear. Do this. None of those so far. Huh. Now, does that matter? It matters. It matters a lot. This, this is the dynamic of the gospel. God in his mercy has given us himself in his son Christ. He's taken on flesh. He's died for us. He's coming our way. He's giving us the gift of himself in the promise of the gospel. And ours is to receive it by faith. Not to earn it. Not to fix it. Not to just receive it. This is the dynamic of the gospel. This is the New Testament pattern. I'll give you two illustrations. You know, the book of Romans. Romans. After 11 chapters in the book of Romans, describing the glory of God and his grace to us in Christ, chapter 12, 1 comes in with the first real imperative, first command. 11 chapters of grace coming our way. Verse 12, 1. Therefore, I appeal to you, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. Second command there in verse 2 of Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there it is. The glory of God, the grace of Christ, displayed the promises of the gospel coming our way for 11 chapters before a command. And the same thing in Ephesians. Three chapters. It's only a six-chapter book. Three chapters describing God and his grace to us in the gospel of Christ. And then chapter 4-1 comes in. Therefore, therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is really important. <laughs> I thought of this phrase. You know, I, I wrote this phrase and then I had to laugh. I wrote, this is the way of the gospel. And those of you who are laughing, that's the phrase in the in the new Star Wars Mandalorian series, this is the way. And you know, by the way, they got that from Isaiah 30. I don't know if they got it there, but Isaiah wrote it a long time ago. Isaiah 30, verse 21. This is the way. Walk in it. I mean, this is the way of the gospel. This is the way. God 
comes to us in his son Christ and, and offers us the promises of the gospel. Ours is to receive it. Pause. And then as recipients of Christ and his gospel and his promises and all that God promises to be for us in him, come the commands to live in accord with the grace that we've received. Super important. You get that twisted around and all kinds of things go funky. Legalism, uh, despair at the commands of God. So here's a caution for you. If you're wired to pick up the Bible and just default to, Lord, what do you want me to do today? The danger is that you will turn Colossians 1, uh, 1, 1 to 2, what it would be 5, and the first 11 chapters in Romans and the first three chapters in Ephesians into Job. What do I got to do? And you will miss the massive display of the glory of God for us in Christ and who he promises to be and what he's done for us in the gospel, which is the ground, which is the, 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 the standing place, the place in which the commands are to come. It's to those people, those people who've received. So just the caution is do not quickly turn the indicative sections of the Bible telling us who God is and what he's done for us into duty. Just beware. Respond to those glorious descriptions with worship and praise and faith and hope and joy and happiness and delight and commune with your God and rest in him and all that he is for us in Christ. Just beware. Beware. I do have an outline. And uh, the command is really simple. Walk in him. Verse 6. But uh, in order to put that in its place here, I've got four points. Uh, Point number one, the ground. I've already pointed at that a little bit. But number one, the ground, the the reason giving weight to this command. Uh, Number two, the command itself that Paul calls the believers to obey. Number three, two assurances that support the command. And number four, the attitude that is to accompany obedience to the command to walk in him. So that's, there's the outline. Four words. I could do it in summary. Ground, command, two assurances, and attitude. I guess it's five words. Ground, command, two assurances, and attitude. Number one, the ground. Just look at the first clause in, in verse six. Therefore, as, you have, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, there's the ground, so walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
In other words, since you've already received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, continue to walk in him. And you know that that's the image of live in him, step by step, moment by moment. Live in him. The command now is grounded in all the grace of God and the glory of God described in the, in the previous verses. So there it is, that logic of the gospel, that way of the gospel. They've received Christ by faith in the promises of the gospel, and now they're called to walk in him. So just think of what's been in, in chapter 1. They've, they've received the grace of the gospel. They've, they have a share in the inheritance of all the saints. They've been brought into God's family as children of God and brothers and sisters of one another. They've been delivered from the domain of darkness. They've been rescued into the kingdom of Christ. They have redemption from the power and the penalty of sin. They have forgiveness of all, they have forgiveness of all their sins by the death of Christ. They have the hope of glory that's theirs. They have, they have love for one another that Paul has praised God for. He didn't ask him to do it. He said, I thank you that you love, thank God that you love one another as beloved children. And, and so now the wording comes in like, look, as you've received Christ already, walk in him. Now, I, I did stop for just a beat here on something very important. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, Sometimes we can talk as if becoming a Christian is receiving information. And, you know, there's truth to that, that we receive the promise of the gospel, we believe it. And, and yet, more accurate, when we become Christians, we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the person of Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord and all the gifts of his grace, forgiveness of our sins and hope of eternity, all find their meaning in the fact that Christ died for our sins to bring us to himself. To bring us to himself. He's the treasure. He's the incomprehensible gift. He's the indescribable gift. He is the one in whom are the unsearchable riches. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Just want to circle each of those names for the second person of the Trinity. You've received Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. The one who, the incarnation of God, he took on flesh in order to Show us who God is and lay down his life for us on the cross. You've received him. You've received Christ, the Messiah, the beloved son of God, come to redeem his people from their sins and, and restore shalom to the universe. You've received the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Not only is he Lord of the church, its head, and 
and his triumph on the cross is our triumph and his resurrection from the dead is our resurrection from the dead and his triumph over the enemy, the devil, is our triumph over the enemy, the devil. And his satisfaction of the wrath of God is our satisfaction with, the, with God. And not only is he Lord of the church, head of the church, but he's Lord of all. All this is Colossians 1. Lord of all, creator of all, before all things, holding all things together, authoritative over all authorities and powers, over all seen and unseen. He's Lord of all. So see see this big ground for this little community? (laughs) Walk in him. (laughs) Big ground. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, By faith, you've received him. So now, walk in him. Continue to live in him. Walk. Live moment by moment, step by step, day by day, by faith in him, receiving him and all that he promises to be and do for us in the gospel. Live there. It's a huge command. One more reflection, just a little sidebar. I wonder, I wonder if, if when you think about Christ Jesus, the Lord, you bristle. Lord, Master. I mean, that Jesus is Lord and has all authority in heaven and on earth goes against the prevailing winds of our culture, which, as you know, I don't need to tell you, is anti-authoritarian. Our culture values freedom. Our culture values self-autonomy. Our culture values self-determination. Nobody tells me who I am or what to do. That's what our culture, that's the winds of our culture are blowing in. And our natural pride Resists lordship. Resists being under authority. Our natural pride doesn't want to submit to any authority. <laughs> Good night. Look at this. Look at the cars. Just measure the speed of the cars on the freeway on the way here on Sunday morning. Coupled with that, any failures of past authority figures in your life may give you second thoughts about submitting to authorities again. You know, there's been something good going on the last several years in, in our land, a helpful corrective of the bad use of authority or the misuse of authority. That's a, been a really good thing. However, it has not been coupled with a declaration or a a valuing of all the good uses of authority and all the good authorities that we are blessed by in our lives. I mean, think about it. Parents, government authorities, employers, teachers, 
And yes, even, even pastors. Now, to receive Jesus Christ, as they have and as we have, is to receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if you're bristling under that right now, read chapter 1. <laughs> read chapter 1 again. Read Ephesians 1 through 3. Read Romans 1 through 11. Christ has all authority, all the authority of God. And you know what? God is good. And Christ is good in his use of authority. And you know, I got to thinking, well, as you trust, he can be trusted. As you trust him and submit to his authority, I thought of three things happening. Number one, you benefit from his lordship, his counsel, his direction. You benefit. It works for your joy, for your flourishing, for your good. Number two, if you've been hurt by authorities in the past, submitting to Jesus' authority will promote your healing. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will not hurt you. He will not abuse you. He's good. And he loves you. And number three, submitting to Christ as Lord has this profound humbling effect on you and on me and on us. He's the Lord. I'm not. You're not. Ours is to obey Heed his counsel. Receive it as good. Trust him in what he says and follow after it. And to humbly walk by faith and be changed. End of sidebar about the lordship of Christ. Now the command is really simple. In comparison to the ground, <laughs> on the one hand, I guess it's really complex at the same time. Verse 6 again. Uh, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Look, you've received Christ by faith and all that he is and promises to be for us in the gospel. So now, walk in him. Live in him. Live by faith in this Christ Jesus the Lord. Live that way. Here on out, live. <laughs> So think about this in the context of this letter. So apparently some of the Christians in Colossae have been tempted by the, the false teaching that's beginning to take root in the church because, I infer, because they're not satisfied. They're not satisfied with their Christian life. They're not satisfied with their Christian maturity. They're not satisfied with the sufficiency of Christ. So they're looking elsewhere, looking to do this or that to shore up their spiritual life or their maturity or looking elsewhere other than Christ to fulfill what they think they need. And in that dissatisfaction, they're, they're going after philosophies of the day or movements of the day, like Paul Petit said last week, they're seeking angelic help 
or mystical help, or I even think of magical help, they, or, or they're pursuing strict obedience to extra-biblical man-made rules to, to, to achieve righteousness. Like, if I just don't do this, and if I do this, totally extra-biblical. They'll have a sense of, I did, I'm, I'm becoming good. It has totally nothing to do with the righteousness of God for us in Christ or his commands. So Paul's burden is, look, you will not be satisfied in running after those false philosophies. You will not be satisfied by running after false Christ-like voices and figures. As you have received Christ, walk in him. Live in him by faith. That's where it's at. That's the sufficiency of Christ. It's this theme. Go nowhere else. Go to him. That's the command. Live there. Number three now. Two assurances. Or two supports. That's the other way I thought of it. I mean, these are really sweet. (laughs) These are just really sweet here. These two assurances, they're they're harder to see in the English Standard Bible, in the ESV, because the tenses in the ESV are not very well drawn out. So I'm going to read it to you in the New American Standard, and I want you to hear how it's drawn out, how they draw out. There's two tenses that I want you to hear. One is a perfect and one is a present. Uh, Here it is. I'll just take a run at it from verse 6 and then into 7. And I'll tell you what I see as I, as I come across it. Now, Colossians 2, 6, New American Standard. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's verse 6. Now, here's the first assurance I see. Having been rooted. Having been rooted. It's the first assurance I see. And then the second one is this. And now, being built up in him, and established in your faith just as you were instructed. Now, it, it's, it's these two tenses. Having been rooted. It's perfect tense. You know, perfect tense is something done in the past that continues on. Having the walk in Christ. Having been rooted. God has rooted you in Christ and he's keeping you there. And, and, and there you stay. The effects continue. And the other one is present tense. Uh, Now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed. So, So walk in him, present tense, having been established, perfect tense, continuing to this day, you have been, or excuse me, have been rooted, you have been rooted to this day and continue to be rooted. And then you are now, present tense, being built up in him and established in your faith as you were instructed. I just take great encouragement in those, in my heeding and hearing the command to walk in him. The first assurance, you have been firmly rooted. You know, there, it's a metaphor. There, there's a big oak tree in our front yard now. It's, it's probably a, a hundred years old is what what we're told. And, and I've read that the roots of oak trees can, can go 250 feet. Like, so also, you who have received Christ uh, have been, perfect tense, firmly rooted 
in him. Now, so what? I think, I think two things at least. One is when the winds of the false teaching come around to knock me over, I'm rooted. I'm rooted. You're rooted. You're rooted. Rooted in him in order to walk in him. The other thing I think of is fruit. You've been rooted in him. Now, if, like I, you think about obedience as a fruit, right? So, like, you don't say to a stick, produce acorns, and then jam it into the ground. You don't say to a, I don't know, an apple tree fragment, hey, grow apples, and then jam it into the ground. No, no, no. It's, I mean, you get it. The firmly rooted. So we are firmly rooted in Christ. The command to walk in Christ, to live in Christ comes. And I am saying having been rooted in Christ enables the fruit of the obedience of faith to happen. And it doesn't happen any other way. Not rooted in Christ, there'll be no fruit. But rooted in Christ, there'll be the obedience of faith to, in our text, Walk in him. Live by faith in him. Moment by moment. Day by day. From here on out. The, the second encouragement I see here is. Um, you are now being strengthened in Christ. That's how I put it. It's that, it's that middle clause in verse 7. Now. This is New American Standard. Again. Now. You are now being built up in him. And established in your faith, just as you were instructed. It's a metaphor again. It's a it's a building, and, and buildings are built up. They're they're built brick by brick in our day, uh, uh, board by board. And Paul says, "You are being built up. You are being established in your faith. That the building comes up, and you're you're you're." Being established like a house is established on a, on a foundation is built up. It gets a roof, and you're being built up. Present tense. I like this. I mean, I I I am actually probably a scrounger for grace. Like you know, I I'm looking for grace in the Bible, and I'm seeing grace in these two in these two assurances. Grace of being firmly rooted. Grace of God now being. Building me up, building you up, establishing me in the faith, establishing you in the faith, just as you were instructed. In other words, by the work of the Word. God is building us up. God is establishing us in our faith right now. So, I like this. Uh, this is very encouraging. Here's my summary of, of where, we, where we are so far. There's one more thing to say. So the command to walk in Christ comes not only with the past grace of our having received Christ Jesus the Lord, but also our having been rooted to Christ 
in an enduring union and are now being reminded that God is presently building us up and establishing us toward maturity of faith according to the gospel by the teaching of the word of God. He's building us up. That's all ongoing. Now one more thing. It's right at the end of verse seven. I called it attitude, number four. Abounding in thanksgiving. We attach it to the command. So walk in him, abounding in thanksgiving. Huh. Why do you think Paul adds abounding in thanksgiving to the command to walk in him? Why would he put that there? It's a strong phrase, like overflowing with gratitude, overabundant in thanksgiving. It's, it's a lavish phrase. Why would Paul tack that on to the command? Walk in him, overflowing, abundant in thanksgiving. Here's my reason. I think this is right. Because each and every moment of each and every day, we walk in him, we live by faith in Christ, we do so in the same manner in which we came to him, namely, receiving. Receiving. How do you respond when someone gives you something? Thanks. Thanksgiving. We have received the gift of faith by the gospel. We have received Christ's death on the cross for us. We have received Christ Jesus the Lord. We have received the gift of salvation and the gift of redemption and rescue from God's wrath and reconciliation with God. We've received the ever-present presence and help of the Holy Spirit. We have received the gift of being, being children of God and brothers and sisters of one another. And now, as we walk in him, living by faith in him, we continue to receive. We receive the ongoing presence of Jesus with us by the power of the Spirit. We receive the ongoing assurance of our salvation that God is true to his promises to us. We receive, we receive the, the promise of ongoing sanctification that he's still working in us. That We receive the, the ongoing instruction of the word of God building us up and enabling us to grow in grace and knowledge of God. We receive the, the life-altering power of the promises of God in our lives. We receive the, God's promise, his promise of help in trouble and comfort in sadness and distress and his peace in our anxieties. And we receive the power to love even when it's really, really hard to do. And we receive the power to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us. And we receive the promise of final purity from sin and new bodies and life in the new heavens and the new earth with God and with Christ and with one another. And we receive the hope of eternal life. I mean, good night. Why does Paul call for thankfulness? 
walk in him, abounding in thankfulness. Because the journey, the basic journey of the Christian life is one of receiving. Receiving Christ Jesus the Lord and all that God promises to be for us in him step by step as we walk out this Christian life by faith in him. Let me pray. Father in heaven, make it so, I pray. Your word is good to us, and I thank you for what's here before us. I thank you for your lavish mercies and grace to us in Christ. We are recipients. No one can compare to the massive measures that we have received from your mercy and grace to us in Christ. Therefore, I pray that we would be most thankful of all people on the planet because we've received Christ by faith and we walk in him each and every day. Make it so, I pray, for the glory of your name, for the good of the world, I pray as well, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.